This week on Excelsior Journeys, we are talking with producer, director, Julia Marchesi. She has a wonderful film that's out there on Amazon Prime and on Tubi called Out of Print. This is the movie you want to see if you are a film lover. Julia and I talk about how she got started over at the New Beverly Theater, how her experiences there led her to create Out of Print, how the later experiences led her to do her next project, which is a Stephen King dollar baby. And we even got to sneak in a couple of references about the chipmunk adventure. There's a lot to cover. I really hope you enjoy it. Here we go. Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of the award-winning podcast, Entrepreneurs on Fire. And you're listening to the Excelsior Journeys with George Soroy. Prepare to ignite. Is there a burning desire within to share your creativity with the rest of the world? Do you insist on pursuing your passion by any means necessary? Then you are on an Excelsior journey and you are not alone. Welcome back to Excelsior Journeys. My name is George Soroy and thank you so much for being here. If you enjoy what you hear, which I hope you have. We are we have passed over 75 episodes. We are not stopping anytime soon. Um, if you enjoy it, by all means, please spread the word to your friends, your family members. Uh, just let them know about he's got it.com slash podcasts where they can choose which platform they want to subscribe to. If they are an iPhone user, then please go ahead and subscribe on the Apple Podcast app. Um, all your rates, reviews, support, it all means the world to me. Um, one of my favorite experiences from living in New York City for over 17 years was around 2007, 2008 or so, when my wife and I took a trip into New York City and we indulged in a triple feature at the Ziegfeld Theater in New York City, RIP Ziegfeld Theater. It breaks my heart knowing that that, th that wonderful theater is no longer there. Um, but we were there to take in three classic films. We own them all, but at the same time, there is something to be said about seeing it on the biggest screen possible and getting to watch Back to the Future and watching some kids that, are, that have never seen it for the first time really enjoy it and be talking about it and everything after the, after the movie and hearing their favorite moments. It was amazing. And then a few hours later, we got to see E.T. Um, unfortunately, it was the 20th anniversary cut. So we got to see the E.T. with CGI and uh, the walkie talkies instead of the shotguns. And it wasn't as, as great an experience, but at the same time, it's always wonderful to see E.T. on the big screen, no matter what version it is. But then that night, we got to see Jaws. And it was a wonderful experience because this huge theater was about half full. And it was, everyone was so dialed into what they were watching. And there was even a host that came in and talked a little bit about the movie, about the making of it, some behind the scenes info, about the development uh, of the story itself, about the Peter Benchley novel, you know, some really good factoids. And that really got everyone in the mood to sit down and enjoy this classic. And it was, it was a great experience for my wife, too, because that was her first time seeing Jaws. So getting to see it at the Ziegfeld Theater, I was envious that that was how she was going to get broken in with it. Um, that was really one of my first tastes of revival cinema, um, getting to see 
movies that I've known and loved for years on a big screen. And um, it was very similar to the year before in 2006 when my friends and I went to go see 2001 at the Ziegfeld. And it was an original print. So it's with the blue MGM logo. It's with the overture. It's with an intermission. Just an amazing experience. And it helps that 2001 is my all-time favorite movie. So there you go. Um, little did I know that uh, Quentin Tarantino had, was purchasing the land on the New Beverly Theater basically guaranteeing its place in Los Angeles for a long time to come. And New Beverly, if, if you don't know, New Beverly is one of the more, uh, more well-known revival houses. And when I say revival houses, they do a double feature of old movies every day. And they are the subject of Julia Marchesi's film, Out of Print. And if you haven't seen Out of Print, I strongly recommend you do. There is nothing that will stop you from seeing it because you can get it on Amazon Prime. You can get it on Tubi. You can watch it for free, but I strongly recommend you buy it because Julia Marchese has a great story to tell about the New Beverly and about revival cinema and about the that uh, the eventual loss of 35 millimeter prints and how much of a an impact that will make on the film industry. She is here with us this week to talk to us about all of this and more. And it is my pleasure to introduce to you, Julia Marchesi. Julia, how are you? Hey, I'm doing peachy keen. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you very much. And thank you very much for being a part of this. This is really, really cool. And I knew that as soon as, as, soon as I saw that documentary that... Um, I definitely needed to have you on here uh, to not only talk a little bit about, you know, your experience and everything, but also um, everything that's happened um, in your world since, because I knew that, you know, that things were just going to keep on getting bigger and better. Um, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so speaking of which, you just had a, uh, an Indiegogo project that, um, that, uh, that you have going. Can you tell us yes. a little bit about that? Uh, yes. So um, I ran an Indiegogo campaign last October for a short film. Uh, so I am a very, very big Stephen King fan. And my favorite story by him is called I Know What You Need. It's in the collection Night Shift. And I got the rights to make it as a short film. So he has a program called Dollar Baby where you can buy the rights to some of his short stories for one dollar for one year. But it has to be 45 minutes or under a nonprofit, non-broadcast. So it's a way for filmmakers to, uh, you know, put their mark on a story. But the coolest thing about it is that the contract with him says that you have to send a finished copy of the film to Stephen King. So, you know, making this film that he will be watching the film himself, which is insane that he still, <laughs> after all this time, wants to wants to see it, you know, that he has interest in seeing how other people see his work. And so the, I'm, I'm, I'm a constant reader. So the most exciting part for me is that the film, uh, I mean, sorry, the story takes place at the University of Maine, which he attended up in um, Orono, but then the story is also set there. So we'll be filming on location at the place where the story is set. Um, so like the, on the campus itself. So I'm uh, over the moon. So, so, so excited about that. Oh, that's great. That's great. And it's great that um, you're actually the second uh, Dollar Baby filmmaker that I've had on here. My first oh, that's one was, awesome. yeah, my first one was actually a friend of mine from high school, uh, Chris Etheridge, who went on to um, one of his, he did the, uh, the Dollar Baby of Survivor type. Oh, nice. And, oh, that's a great one. 
Yeah. Yeah. And he did a really good job with it. And I was one of the people who got to invest in it. So I got my own copy of it. And, you know, oh, I, I cool. was very, very thrilled to see that. And he's gone on to you know, actually do a couple of a uh, couple of films already. So it's it's really cool to see that that great kind of um, that great kind of, of launch, really. Like, that's a terrific I, I've always loved the way that uh, that Stephen King does this. Um, have you gotten to meet any other you know, filmmakers that have done this? Um, I've yes, I have. Uh, when I started uh, gearing up to do my Indiegogo, there's a there's a nice little group of them on Facebook that everybody's very helpful. And if I had questions, they were you know willing to answer them. Um, and so I met with a couple of them. Uh, this was pre pandemic, of course, and talked to them about how it gone for them and what kind of ideas they had and stuff. So it was like a really nice welcoming family of people who are willing to help because it's a very kind of select club. But it's funny because everybody's like, well, how did you get the rights? And I'm like, here you go. You go on stephenking.com, you go to the dollar baby section, you look at the list of the stories that he has that's available and you send them an email. I'm like, that's it. That's all there is. And I think people think it's like this big mysterious thing. I'm like, it's not, you can totally ask for them yourself. Like, Anybody mm -hmm. can ask. The worst they can say is no, but I thought they would say no. But my kids are like, there you go. And I was like, whoa, OK, here we are. Yeah. yeah. And and once you get it, it's just like you got to run with it. Because, yes, because you only have a year. Yeah. You, so it's only a year. That's the that's that's his that's his yeah. limit right there. Mm -hmm. So you can't like re up or anything like that. It's got you can. But, you know, they 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 try to keep it, you know, because they because also like sometimes something like Castle Rock is buying up a lot of the rights for a lot of the mm. short stories because they want to use them in the show. And so sometimes stories are pulled from rights for different things. And so I think they just want to keep everything kind of as short term as possible. Oh, OK. OK, well, that's that's really cool. So when it comes to when it comes to fi uh, film and everything, everything that you have been really kind of steeped into, you're also doing some podcasts as well, correct? I, I am. Yes. So I have uh, two podcasts right now. Uh, my my first podcast is a horror movie survival guide, which I've been doing for uh, three years. We're almost at 200 episodes. And um, it's amazing. It's me talking about horror movies with my best friend, Terry Gamble. And nice. we talk about how you survive a horror film. Uh, and we try to really go all over the map in terms of what kinds of films we talk about. So, you know, we do talk about, uh, you know, more modern popular things, but we also talk about uh, older, weirder things and, and things that we feel like didn't get its due. Um, and so that's, I love doing it so much and we have, you know, no plans to stop. Uh, and then I just started a new podcast um, that just had his first episode come out. So I'm a big fan of the filmmaker Alejandro Jodorowsky. He's one of my mm -hmm. very favorite filmmakers and he's such a madman. Um, and so <laughs> I'm doing a podcast that is called Jodorowsky. Um, fantastic. <laughs> it's been one of the best titles for a show I've ever heard. Like, I love it. <laughs> thank you. It's so goofy. It makes me laugh every time I say it, but it's just, uh, yeah, it's really fun. So, and we wanted to make it kind of a fun, friendly way to look at Jodorowsky because he can be a very heavy filmmaker, but Oh, you know, yeah. we want to make it also quite accessible and let, you know, people know that there is, you know, even though there's there's two sides to him, right? There's a kind of a playful side and there's more of a serious side. And we're trying to to boost out the playful side, I think. Nice. And you're going to be talking about films like El Topo, I'm sure. Yes. Like, so we're awesome. going chronologically through his work um, oh, and, really? and really talking about everything. And we're trying to get into the comics and the books as well. So we just talked about his first two short films, which were uh, La Cravat and Teatro San Fin. And then mm -hmm. we talked a little bit about his comic Annabelle Five. And then we talked about Fondo and Lise, which is his first film. 
wow. uh, which is fantastic. So I, I mean, this is the thing, like for me, it's, it's a joy because I am getting to talk about things that I love uh, with enthusiasm. And I think you can hear in my voice, I'm very excited about it. Like those things really, really do interest me. And so getting to delve even deeper and kind of study them in an academic almost way makes it fun for me. Cause then I get to, I get to do it with a purpose, I guess. Like I'd always want to delve into everything as deep as I can, but now I'm like, oh, okay. I actually have to read these comics for the show. And so here I am studying it in a way. That's great. That's great. And and yeah, it, you, you can really tell just how, you know, like how much passion someone has for something right in their voice. When they get, they get, they get ramped up, they get excited. They, you know, they just want to like make sure that everyone knows about how awesome this thing is. And like, that's, that's what I really love, you know, like seeing about um, the few times that I'd gone to the Ziegfeld for a classic film. Um, there was, you know, every now and then there'll be someone there as a host basically just kind of ramping everything up and talking a little bit about the movie, about what we're about to watch, not spoiling anything, um, but, you know, just letting them know that just like, hey, this really is something special. We're going to talk, we're, you know, here are a few things to keep in mind and here are the few things to look out for and everything. That sort of thing, I just, I, I've always really responded to that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, like hearing that, you know, like in podcast form, we have, a, you know, like all of us, you know, like we all have a chance to kind of be our own hosts, be our own curators for this sort of, for this sort of content. I think it's really yeah. amazing. And I guess, you know, something that's always been very, I, that I, I enjoy very much is sharing things I love with other people, especially yeah. films, because yeah. there's a film that I love that I can share it with someone and kind of watch them watch it, which gives me a joy. So mm -hmm. I think that's why I enjoyed doing film programming so much at the New Beverly, because I could watch these movies and like talk to them afterwards. And how did you like it? And what did you think? And so I think that goes on now through with my podcast is I'm still recommending things for people to watch. And so when I get people yeah. coming back and there's movies like, you know, like a, something like Oculus, which is Mike Flanagan, which is, I think is a brilliant film. It's mm. so good. And I've yeah. been championing it ever since it came out. And so when somebody comes to me like, oh, I watch Oculus because you, you know, you mentioned it and you talked about it on the podcast and it was really, really good. That makes me so happy. It's like, okay, well, Oculus made me happy. Now I just mm. gave two hours of joy to somebody else. And like that kind of like paying it forward in a way, you know, and like yeah. everyone wins. Yeah. Mike Flanagan wins, Karen Gillan wins, everyone wins you know absolutely but, uh, but my podcast i although in real life i am very anti-spoiler my podcast mm -hmm. is very spoiler heavy it's basically like a breakdown deep dive of a film so oh. i would recommend watching a film before you listen to the podcast awesome if, yeah i love it <laughs> i do i love it and it's it's funny because like recently i took a little trip over to our uh local theater over here in st louis and it's a chain theater it's you know marcus theaters and everything and I was asking them because they had started showing a couple of a classic, classical, classic films. Uh, they were showing like every now and then they'd show like The Breakfast Club or, um, you know, a couple other, you know, favorites from like the 80s, a couple from the 70s and everything. And I asked them, it's just like, is there an opportunity? Because, uh, you know, like I'm a published author, I'm a podcaster, I'm audiobook narrator, and I'm, you know, part of the Missouri Writers Guild and everything was just like all these different things. I was just saying how, like, is there a chance to kind of go up and maybe talk a little bit about these movies and everything as they start up and um they said eventually that you know they finally said that uh, that they don't really do that that they have uh like a they have it on like a slide projector like on the screen before the movie starts of like different facts i'm just like no nah, it kind of takes it away kind of takes away from that you know like um but uh but let's uh we'll we'll table that that part of it for now but i'm really interested to hear about you're what I always call the lightning bolt moment since film is so, you know, seems like so deeply ingrained in you. 
what was that moment that made you want to say, hey, that's what I want to do. That's the sort of life I want to live. That's the journey I want to go on in terms of filmmaking. What was it like for you? Uh, well, it started out um, kind of differently because I uh, started out, I came to LA to be an actor. So when I first, you know, had the moment of, I want to be in with film, it was, I want to be in film. I want to be an acting, acting film. Mm -hmm. um, and I was, I've been an actress ever since I was a little kid and I was in um, community theater groups and I was, you know, small. I went to a performing arts high school Um I, so, and, 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 and so it was, and I had, I directed a stuff as well. And I directed some plays in, in school and after school. And so like there was directing was in there, but I was always kind of a more looking at more from an actor perspective. And then it wasn't until, um, so the out of print, my, you know, was my first film. And, and the reason mm -hmm. that, that came about is we got a letter at the new Beverly when I was working there that said that uh, they were, that the studio was going to stop making 35 millimeter prints. And so that was like the, really the moment where I panicked because yeah. it, was, it was like this giant turning point in cinema that was kind of getting brushed under the rug with this like hush, hush letter. And I was like, wait, this is kind of a big deal. I wish mm -hmm. somebody would say something about this. And so then I was like, well, I guess I can say something about this. And so I started a petition to get people to get this recognition of what was happening. And then it turned into a Kickstarter campaign to make this film. So I felt, you know, there was uh, Keanu Reeves also uh, made a movie called Side by Side that uh, is also about the digital changeover. But his movie is a lot more focused on um, filming, like what medium you're filming on. And mm -hmm. this uh, my film is more about what you're watching something on. Yeah. Um, so I think that that's like a nice kind of not that I'm comparing myself to Keanu Reeves in any sort of way, because he, he wins, he wins that fight. He will always win that fight. Um, yeah. But, you know, kind of a nice bookend is, you know, here's what you're filming on and here's what you're watching it on. So I would just wanted to uh, have a little marker in this change point in history. And, and then also to have this, you know, to say something about the importance because you know, more, it, 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 this is all, you know, a moot point now because we can't be watching anything in a cinema right now, but you know, the idea that, the ultimate way to watch a film is in a cinema with other people yeah. because that changes the way a film is. Mm -hmm. um, and I haven't been in a cinema since March of 2020 and it kills me because like, that's my church. That's what I want to do. That's where I go, you know, multiple mm -hmm. times a week. And I, even if I'm alone, I'm not alone because I'm with all of these other people. Um, so I am, you know, very much longing for that experience and, and definitely watching things at home alone on my TV is not necessarily the ideal way to watch a film in my opinion. Absolutely. Yeah. I, um, I even tried a little something when um, right when the quarantine was really kind of, you know, really getting into gear, like around March or so of 2020, around the same time, mm -hmm. um, I started just like uh, just like a little Facebook page. It was just called CVQ Cinema, uh, cor uh, Coronavirus Quarantine Cinema. It was just like so that way I could basically just say, you know, this week we're watching this. you know, And so if anyone else has a copy of it, then they can go ahead and watch it. And then afterwards we can you know, convene over at that page and everything and just talk a little bit about it and just mm -hmm. to kind of get that some some sort of experience for that because, yeah, I'm starving for it too. Yeah. Uh, the la last one, last time I had gone to the theater was January of 2020. Okay, what was the last one you saw? Uh, actually, it was my second time seeing The Rise of Skywalker. I took my father to see it because he was in okay. town. Okay. Yeah. Mine um, was uh, and... the, se the second time I saw Birds of Prey, which was uh, oh. at the Chinese theater on Hollywood Boulevard. So I was like, it was at the big theater, like the big yeah. Chinese thing. And I was like, ah, don't worry about that. If I have to like choose the last one, that's not bad. I've heard really, I've heard really good things about it too. I've heard it was you know, like, uh, it was a very interesting, you know, a very interesting, you know, like take on, 
you know, in, in DC and that Margot Robbie did a really good job with it. Oh, well, I, I'm actually not really a comic book person. So I, I it's weird that I, I saw it twice, but uh, I, I like, I guess Ewan McGregor's in it. I like him a lot. I thought she, you know, it was a, it was a very fun movie that I feel like I didn't need any context for, yeah. which was like, I could just be thrown in and I'm like, okay, I kind of, kind of sort of know who Harley Quinn is. Let's go. And I was like, all right, it's fun. There you go. Yeah. It's, it's kind of amazing. Like different, different movies, like kind of looking back on it and saying like, Oh, I've seen, I've seen this movie twice. I was the only one, you know, like I was, I had gone to see it alone, like quiz show. Saw that, you know, my freshman year in, in college, saw that twice and, you know, and I loved it. And I was like the only one that, you know, like out of all my friends that made a point to see that. So it's, it's, it is, it is, there really is something to be said about those, you know, those films that really just grab you and make you want to keep going back. Well, I'm a, I'm a multiple, I mean, I thought I'm a multiple watcher. Like that is kind of my jam is if I like a movie, I will go back and see it multiple yeah. times in the theater. Uh, my, my, my winner for in the original theatrical run uh, is across the universe, which I saw 12 times in the theater. So 12 like, times. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Um, it just, it, I don't know. It's very, it's, it's, you know, it's joyful. It's fun. Yeah. It's kind of girl I, I am. I thought, you know, like for, for me, it was um, four times seeing Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the original. That was my, <laughs> I got you beat, son. <laughs> that was, I thought that that was, that was much. That was, that was a bit much seeing it four times. But yeah, to triple that. Wow. Like that's, <laughs> I, I'm impressed. I'm really impressed. But it's, well, it's, it's kind of like what, uh, what Joe Carnahan was saying in your, in Out of Print, uh, how it's just like, you support you support these things. You keep going back to them and everything because it's what you love. It's what's in you. So, yeah, I will support Julie Tabor hundred percent. She deserves all every penny of that money. Yeah, yeah. I saw um, the Green Bird that she that uh, she did on Broadway. You know, nice. And, and got to meet Elliot Goldenthal that night, and it was still like one of my. I put that in my top ten moments of you know all of New York. It was just an amazing experience. That sounds pretty epic. Yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. It was, <laughs> um, but um, so you so you came into you came to LA. You said in two thousand one, correct? Uh huh. And then from there, uh, according to what you said in out of print, it wasn't that long before you started at least trying to get a job over at uh, over at the New Beverly, correct? Yes. So I had uh, because I grew up in Las Vegas, and there aren't revival cinemas don't exist in Las Vegas. They just mm-hmm. We don't have them. And so I, when I came here to LA, the first, within the first few weeks, I found a calendar for the New Beverly and the New Beverly calendar hasn't changed since 1978. So it looks incredibly groovy and like groovy is my aesthetic. And yeah. I saw what they were playing and I was like, oh my God. Uh, so <laughs> the first time that I went, it was for a Goonies and Gremlins double bill. And there were some hardcore Corey Feldman fans in the house who really? like lost their shit every time it came on screen. And I died because I was like, I thought I was the only one. It's mm-hmm. not just me. There's others. There's others like me. So I loved that it was not fancy. And I loved that it looked very 70s. And like, it didn't really look like you could have walked in there in 1978. Yeah. And not much would have been different. Like there was still a painful on the, on the wall. They still only took cash. Like it was pretty much the same. Um, so Sherman Torgan was the owner. And I asked him for a job for five years. Every time I went, every time wow. I was like, when are you going to give me a job? I'm here. I'm not going away. Like, where's it? So finally he gave me one of his own shifts and then I kind of didn't ever let him let me go. I was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> now I'm in. <laughs> um, and it was just, you know, it was, I was so happy to work there because it really was my favorite place in the whole world. And then I also got to watch 
endless amounts of movies on my shift and, you know, be, be paid for, be paid for it. And, and how amazing is that? And, you know, it's only on, there was only on 35 millimeter and it had this really cast of weirdos and outsiders who came in there, which is my kind of my people. Yeah. Um, and, and, and then getting to going from there and then getting to start to do a guest programming series where we had directors come in and talk about their favorite movies and getting to meet all of you know, the people who are my heroes and getting to talk to them about their experiences and, you know exactly what you know how do they come to where they're doing and why did the why these specific films what do you like about them and and yeah. it's just being in a place where you know all of the film nerds you ever want to hang out with are all there and are hardcore and it's not you know even though there were people who were drawn there by a name they want to go see edgar wright but they also okay well edgar wright uh, likes this film so it must be good so let me watch this film because he recommends it so he is bringing in people with his name but it's also for this kind of good cause of showing them something they probably haven't seen before yeah. so you know and, and watching a movie with an incredibly packed house of people who really 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 want to be there is the best experience ever it's just electric and i got to sit through so many of those incredible screenings uh it was so much fun Oh, that's great. How long did it take for you to be able to program um, a double feature yourself? Pretty soon, pretty soon after I worked there, because Sherman would ask, you know, employees for suggestions. Yeah. Um, and so it was the kind of thing where, you know, maybe we get to program around your birthday. So I've got to do a, a bunch of different really cool birthday double features I did once. Um, I'm obsessed with Donovan Leach. So I, I showed the nice. in crowd and the blob. Um, and wow. he came and I, he was so nice and he's so beautiful. And he came up to do, a, to do a, like an introduction and he came up and he kissed me on my cheek and uh -huh. my mind went blank. I lost it. Really? Like everything in my head was gone. And I just <laughs> stared at the audience and everyone started to laugh. And then he looked over at me and he started to laugh. And I was like, I don't, I'll see you after the movie. Like it was gone. Like I had nothing. Wow. So I, I think that's the only time I've ever been kissed where it's just like blanked my brain. Um, I had, um, I had a great one that was Crybaby and Hairspray, where the oh, hairspray nice. was the hairspray was dance along, so you got to get up and dance along with uh, the movie, which was super fun. I did uh, Secretive Nim and the Chipmunk Adventure, which don't judge me here, but the Chipmunk Adventure okay. is amazing. Uh, Susan Terrell is one of the voices, which should tell you something right there. But it's about yeah. the chipmunks and the chipettes who get uh, mm -hmm. bamboozled into going into a diamond smuggling hot air balloon race around the world by a Euro trash brother and sister couple. Mm -hmm. Amazing. Yeah. And yeah, I will I will vouch for that, too, because that's uh, that one for me is <laughs> it's a difficult one to watch because of the baby penguin. Steve. Oh, I, I fast forward it every time. Yeah, you, you I can't. Have to, it you makes have to me walk away. <laughs> you have to walk away. It's like, it makes no. me cry immediately. I totally can't do it. Yes, you're totally like, right. If, it's like if you really hate me, you're gonna do like a double feature of that and Dumbo, and <laughs> I'm just gonna be out in the lobby. I'm just not. I'm not coming in. <laughs> we'll have Bambi at midnight to round it out. Oh, damn you! <laughs> <laughs> oh man, yeah. So, um. So with those, like uh, having Crybaby and Hairspray, was John Waters involved at all, at all in that? Like, did uh, he no, but he, he did. He, he he was he did come to the theater a couple of times to do uh, signings and stuff. And sometimes nice. he would speak. And so, you know, sometimes the movie, we would have those kind of things as well. That were like we get hired out for events and movie premieres. And so there's always this kind of cast of characters. And of course, John Waters um is one of the best public speakers you'll ever see he's oh, just yeah. incredible and such a hero of mine um i think you know his films 
I love his films because they're just like what films aren't supposed to be. And I love that yeah. about him um, and just they're his fearless. wit. And yeah, they are. And like yeah. his appreciation for sleaze, which I, my favorite story about John Waters is he says in one of his books that the greatest moment of his life was one time he was sitting at a bus stop and a car went by and threw some Chinese food out the window and it hit him in the face. And that was like the best moment of his life. And I'm like, <laughs> I love you, John Waters. That makes me love you so much. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. Oh, it's so good. That's so good. And I mean, just, and um, while I was watching, while I was watching that out of print, you know, like seeing all these, all these names that I, you know, know and love like throughout the years, you know, Kevin Smith, Joe Dante, John Landis, Ryan Johnson, Fred Decker, uh, Joe Carnahan, Edgar Wright, Patton Oswalt, the great Clue Gulliger. Like, I mean, all of these, all these great people how were you know, like were they just really like anxious to get involved in this because of because of what you were what uh what you would put uh put the word out about you know like about how it was all about like how 35 uh 35 millimeter was was fading away yes um so i had met pretty much everybody i interviewed in the film at the new beverly uh, because many, many of them had either, most of them, had, they either came there or had done programming of some sort there. Nice. So they knew me from that and they knew that I had, you know, done this petition and they were all very supportive of that and getting the word out, uh, which was very awesome. Clue, mm -hmm. as you know, in the movie uh, is a regular. And so he was just there all the time. Um, and I knew, I knew Clue um, from, I don't know if you've ever seen this movie from 88. It's called um, Tape Heads. And it stars John Cusack I, and Tim I know Robbins. Of it. I've never seen it, but I know of it. Definitely um, watch it because right. it's it's what's that? It was uh, Mike Nesmith, wasn't it? Yeah, uh, he's yeah, one of the producers. Yeah. yeah, and it's uh, it's really really funny and it's really really weird and and very underseen. But Clue is in it, and I, that was a big family and like movie we watched a lot growing up. And so oh. I, so the first time I saw him in the theater, I was like, it's the guy from Tapeheads, and I was like really really excited. <laughs> and I had I was so stupid because I didn't know he had this you know of course this huge career of yeah. things that he'd been doing forever. And I sort of you know as I got to know him, I learned more about him and what he got to you know what he did when and how his epic career and just one of the most fearless moviegoers because like, he will literally watch anything like he doesn't yeah. like antichrist he's in like doesn't matter like <laughs> you know like anything like wow you know it's just this because i i don't even have that as a movie lover like there are certain movies where i'm like nope not interested but he's just yeah. like i'll give it a, i'll give it a try and right like, that's amazing yeah i don't i don't see myself you know like watching cannibal holocaust anytime soon but at the same time like you know i, I watched it i watched it at the new beverly once to be able to say that i've seen it Oh my! Yeah, it's 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 kind of like doing uh, doing New Year's Eve at New York in Times Square, right? Just you do it once, just to say you did it, and then you don't have to do it again. Exactly. So and, yes, I've seen yeah. Cannibal Holocaust. I will not watch Cannibal Holocaust again. The end. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't see myself watching it. So I'll just say like. I was in Times Square for New Year's Eve and I'm good. So, so with, so with well, I think, you know, I think that's the thing about movies. It's like, you only need to watch the movies you want to watch, right? You shouldn't feel yeah. pressure from anybody to watch movies you don't want to watch. And just yeah. because you haven't seen it is never a thing. You know, every movie lover, no matter how, how, how hardcore has mm -hmm. their movie gaps has right. Movies that like they should have seen that they haven't seen. I, yeah. for instance, I've not seen the Godfather. Haven't seen it. Haven't seen that whole series. Haven't yep. seen it. That's embarrassing to totally. say yep. as a big film fan, but I'll get to it. And when I do, I'll want to see it in the big screen with the big theater and the whole bit. So I think the thing, you know, and then people are like, Oh, what's yeah. wrong with you? Haven't you seen it? Yeah, but there, no, no, there that's enough, not, that's there are not enough the movies that are out there. That I 
Yeah. And like the attitude is not to have to shame people for making them feel bad for not seeing it. You go, okay, I'm, I feel lucky. You feel lucky because you haven't seen it. You get to see it for the first time. How exciting is that? Right. And that's, I think that's a cool way to look at mm-hmm. it. And I think that's something that every, you know, it, it, what's yours? Let's hear it. You got one. What's your big movie that you should have seen that you haven't seen? Uh, oh, geez. Ugh, what is, what, which one is it? I have yet to watch Gone with the Wind all the way through. Um, okay. That there is, you go. that is definitely one of mine. Um, I have yet to watch, oh, geez. I'm trying to think of like the, uh, the ones that were listed at the, in the top 10 in the, I, my, I, I was always like religiously watching the 98 special about, um, uh, from, um, AFI, like 100 years, 100 movies. And uh, let's see, On the Waterfront is okay. one I've never seen. Um, and what other one has, there, there is a lot that I, that, uh, that I had And that's seen, cool though, but, right? Because uh, the great thing about um, movies is you're never going to run yeah. out. You get to discover them. Yeah. I wasn't until I was a sophomore in college when I finally got to sit down and watch Network. And it's now oh, to me, so good. I'd put it, easily put it in my top five all-time favorites, you know, like maybe it's, even top three. Yeah. You know, it's a brilliant film. It really is. And that's one that, I, and you don't hear too, you know, many people really talking about that one, even though like it's literally dictated everything that's happened since in, in media. So yeah, it's, it's really something, you know, about, about that. So during that time, you know, like you get to, um, you get to do out of print, you get to, you know, make the movie and everything. Mm-hmm. And then when it was ready to release, is that when you, Oh, actually um, I want to take a step back just a little bit, you know, like, because, during the making of it, you actually got to work with your brother on the music. I did. Yes. Um, so I, yes, my brother, Peter Marquesi is mm-hmm. a musician and he's, there's always in our family, I've been the one with the movies and he's been one the one with the music. Yeah. And so he's, um, he plays drums, he plays guitar, he plays bass, he plays keyboards, he sings, and he's had multiple bands over the years. He was in a band called Voyager One in Tokyo, Idaho that were really popular. He lived in Seattle for a long time. Yeah. And so when I started to make this movie, I was like, hey, will you do the music for my movie? And he's like, I don't know how to score a movie. And I'm like, I don't know how to make a movie, but let's figure it out. <laughs> and so he did a great job. And the thing that, you know, it was very difficult because when I started, I didn't really know yet what the tone of the film was, right? I knew yeah. I wanted it to be fun. Uh, I feel like there aren't enough fun documentaries. So I wanted it to be, you know, something that was joyful. But so I started like, at first I was like, ah, maybe like air, like kind of ambient. So he started kind of doing that. And then by the end of it, I was like, no, nah, more like James Brown. And so it was like more into that. So like you have this yeah. big kind of swath of different kinds of musical styles, but I think he killed it. I love the music in the movie so much. And I'm so proud that I got to work with my brother on my first film and get to put his name up there with mine, which felt really good. And it's a and it's a great score too. It's it just um it's it's got this really great like seventies grindhouse kind of feel to it that mm-hmm. just works perfectly with all of the uh, different interstitial um, that you got going with the all the different uh, you know previews coming attractions and aren't those so much fun? Oh, I love them. Uh, let I let love me. Them. This is this is a this is a handy tip for filmmakers listening out there. So uh, my film uh, involves a lot of what they call snipes, which are uh, the short little things like the let's all go to the lobby thing you would see before movies. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's a lot of those, a lot of vintage things. So there's a website called Internet Archive where you can find all public domain stuff. Ooh. So every clip in my movie. So I have clips from I have a clip from Shred. I have a clip from Free. I've cut from Plan 9 from Outer Space, um, from yes. Night of Living Dead. Uh, they're all public domain. So these are things that you can use in your film for free. Yeah. Uh, so if you're a filmmaker <laughs> who is looking for stuff, uh, that's a real easy way to do it. And uh, name that one more time. You said Internet Archives. Mm-hmm. Awesome. 
as you're putting that whole thing together and then you're you know ready to get it out there because you end up actually you know doing uh, some a pretty good extensive look at at all of revival cinema what uh, was there anything that you learned during your uh during your trips like internationally you know, so you're you know, you're asking about the making of the film or after the film was finished uh it, the, make, the making of it because okay. yeah because i know you were obviously you couldn't you know like really put in the the stuff you know like after after it was made but you know like right. all the stuff that you were doing like you know around the world and everything kind of sharing sharing your your experiences with 35 millimeter and getting to see all these different revival houses what was mm-hmm. that like so yes yeah, so the film uh so out of print itself uh only really shows the New Beverly Cinema and then uh, the Prince Charles Cinema, which is in London. And those were kind Mm -hmm. of a stand-in for revival cinema houses in general. And like, here are two examples of these, but you'll find one of these in all of your hometown. It's basically the idea and that you should be Mm -hmm. supporting the one near you. So uh, the film was shot half on digital and half on film because I really wanted to show the difference. So uh, Mm -hmm. God bless Ryan Johnson for explaining the difference between 35 and digital in a way that allowed me to do a split screen, which is awesome. Awesome. So you'll that be able to see. In, that was really yeah, cool. He's yeah. amazing. He started talking. And I was like, yeah. please don't stop, Ryan. Please don't stop. And it was like, you're just like perfectly describing it. It was amazing. Uh, he's so cool. Uh, so yeah, yeah, so you'll get to see the difference between 35 and digital in the film, which I think a lot of people don't really know visually what the difference is. Um, and mm-hmm. so the, the coolest thing was I got to have a 35 millimeter print of the film struck as well. So there's, nice. there's, there's one, there's one, um, which was yeah. sitting in my, in my apartment, making me very nervous that it was just that one sitting there. Uh, so I actually, it is now being, uh, being housed in a nice humidity and temperature at the Academy archives where it will live forever, which I'm very happy about. Cause then I don't have to worry about it. And I go, yay, take care of it. Academy. Sorry. Thank you so much. <laughs> so, and then I, I did get to tour with the film. It played uh, in art house cinemas and film archives and universities all over the world. So I got to uh, take it and show it around England and show it um, at a bunch of universities on the East coast. And really interesting to talk to people and, and a lot of people, like I remember uh, we had a screening at Wellesley in um, Massachusetts and a lot of the girls there had never thought of 35 millimeter. Like they just didn't, like they never thought of where the movie came from. Like it just didn't matter. Like, and I think a lot of people don't. Um, and I think, you know, there's yeah. a there's a there's a film clip that we use in the movie that's a, from a 70s after school special, like a school film strip that shows you like how projection works, like how it actually goes through the yeah. you know, machine and how the light shows through and everything. And I think that's something that people just didn't ever really think about, because why would you Right? you go in to watch a movie? You're not there to think about where the movie's coming from. So I think mm-hmm. introducing and we brought, so we, these, you know, I, I watched the movie and, and we brought the girls back up into the projector booth so they could actually see the film in there and running through it and everything. And it just kind of blew their minds. Cause like, Oh, well, I just learned something completely new today that I just didn't know how it worked. And so that, I think that feels good to know that people are, you know, it'll be able to, you know, especially in the years to come when film becomes more and more obsolete, the people to say, okay, this is how this thing yeah. did work and used to work. And, and it still works. It still works. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. It still does. It still does. And it's really amazing just how, um, just it, it's it and i didn't even realize just how much of a difference it is from 35 millimeter to digital until i saw that whole segment that uh that, that ryan johnson was was doing in the movie and so oh, i'm so ryan. glad to hear and, that ryan in case you're listening you rock yes yeah he does he does he really does him and, and noah yeah. together being interviewed is just a, just such a joy they were so yeah. much fun to, to you know, because when you have friends playing off each other, that energy is like so much more sparky. Um, yeah. 
And I think you see that. And I, I, I feel like the great tradition of documentaries, blooper reels should be over the credits. So mm-hmm. we get silliness there as well. Absolutely. I, I definitely agree there. So I feel um, like I, I feel like every movie should be improved by bloopers over the credits and a dance number. I feel like that should always be included in every movie. Dance number. Interesting. Interesting. There are you know, there are definitely some that that uh, that I feel like once they put in their dance number, it really did kind of elevate it. So, yeah, there, there's definitely something to be said there. Um, so during that time, so 2014 hits the movie's out. And it was that was around the time when you also like left the New Beverly to mm-hmm. pursue other endeavors, you know, like yeah. correctly. Uh-huh. Um, so what was it like, you know, post New Beverly when you were able to really kind of get yourself out there? What was it like um, working to, you know, get more get more filmmaking work done? Well, you know, it was just, you know, going with the film and then trying and because this is because it was my first film, it was the really mm-hmm. the kind of thing of learning how to make a film from A to Z, of yeah. learning how to raise the money and then, you know, do production, pre-production, do production, do post-production, learn how to get a distribution company, learn, you know, learn how to tour the film and do all of this kind of PR and everything. So I think that that it was a really wonderful way to get, you know, to make my first film about something that I was very, very passionate about and also get to learn how to make a film on 35 millimeter as well, which was fantastic. And then to have a film that, you know, I will always, I always will be such a big proponent of watching films in, uh, with an audience in a cinema. So to have this film to, that will be there forever to have that, that argument to say, please go see this. You know, I think that's something that's, I'm happy that that my name will be attached to that, you know, that sentiment for all time. And, and a lot of people do tell me that is the film does kind of feel like Julia in film form. I mm-hmm. think it's a very indicative of my personality. I'm like, yeah, that's cool. <laughs> you know, so, and it was the thing of what's next. Right. And so there's been a whole bunch of just difference. And I think it's been interesting to see, I, I started to L, come to LA to be an actor, but then I kind of started to turn into director. And then I'm also doing, doing podcasting now. And it's like, there's just all different. And it's just things that come to me and the things that I, you know, horror movies. So I have a guide is with my best friend. And that means I get to watch movies and talk about movies with my best friend, which is amazing and doing yeah. what's next. Yeah. And now I get to make, you know, this short film. That's my favorite story, but my favorite author. So it's these wonderful things that I'm getting. I feel like rewarded for things that I'm uber passionate about and getting to, talk to more people about it and do something bigger with it, which is so cool. Cause I I've been reading Stephen King since I was in junior high and have always been a big nerd and like had yeah. no idea it was ever going to lead to anything. Right. It's just like, I'm reading his books, but now it's actually, okay, well mm-hmm. now I've become, you know, this, cause I've read like this kind of like, Oh, Stephen King, people know, people know publicly now how, like how big the love is. And I think, you know, same with the film. It's like people know publicly how big the love is. And I think that it's something to be, said that how awesome it is to be rewarded for passion and enthusiasm and i think that that's people shouldn't underestimate that yeah. you know the, there's reasons where people like follow your passions They're like well do it because people like it when you're passionate about something and in a genuine way absolutely and that's that's really what this show is all about excelsior your journeys is it puts a spotlight on people that are pursuing their creative passions no matter what and even if they have like a full-time job and everything if they're still pushing forward on it, no ma- you know, like finding their time to do it, to, 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 um, to basically like get that, get that creative outlet out into the world. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what this is all about. It's this is, this show celebrates that. So you're the perfect example of someone living, you know, the success <laughs> because like you said, you, you, uh, you not only came in, came into LA with the passion of being involved in film, but also an open mind. 
because you didn't just say, I'm going to act and that's it. You know, like you allowed yourself to really kind of indulge all these other forms. And now, now look what you're doing. Now this is fantastic. <laughs> you know, so, um, you know, huge kudos to you for, do, for doing this. I think that's, it's a, it's a wonderful thing. And it's something that needs to be, that needs to be acknowledged. Um, Thank you. Yeah. Uh, I, it, I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm a, I'm a happy, I'm a happy girl who's, who's happy about, you know, film related stuff. Like you give mm -hmm. me something film related and I'm a happy girl. So like, this is, uh, you know, it, Los Angeles is kind of a, a strange city and it's, it could be very big and isolating. And it's nice that there can be a, a community of film lovers that can all kind of stick together and be like, we can communicate and connect on that level, which I think is really nice, especially, you know, in a time now where we can't physically connect at all. Right. Yeah. Um, so it's nice to know. So like my, I have um, a weekly movie night that I've been doing with my friends for about 10 years now. And we used to do it in person and, and we get together and watch a movie every week. And now we do it virtually. But the idea is that, you know, every person has a turn and there's about eight of us and we all take turns, you know, picking the movie. And because uh, you know, everybody has a different is different movie knowledge and different kind of movie love. And so you're mm -hmm. guaranteed to have something completely different from every single person every week. But yeah. the idea is that like you watch anything, like there's no veto, like you just right. watch it and like, that's okay. And like, maybe you didn't like it and maybe you did, but that's kind of a fun thing where you can share something with people and have it be no judgment, no fear. You just, mm -hmm. you know, but nobody's going to make fun of you for it. Like we're just going to all watch it and enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah, that absolutely. And speaking of the, you know, the, the whole, uh, the, the wonderful community of, you know, gathering together to watch a movie and everything um, until 2020 hit, you know, like it was full steam ahead with movie theaters. That was going to, that was going to be it. And now, you know, like now the COVID is what, you know, is done what it's done. And we're in this weird area of just like, we can sort of see a light at the end of the tunnel. But then it's just like, okay, once that happens, now what? What do you see for the future of theaters? What do you think they should do to kind of stay out there? Because I mean, I am I'm a huge advocate of movie theaters in general. I love them, and they really are. You know, like when they are, when they're an event, they they can be a place where an event takes takes place, and so um, it definitely. It definitely means the world to me to have movie theaters accessible to everyone out there. Um, what do you think they should maybe do to kind of stay afloat, to stay relevant for a lot of people that just decide that they're going to stick with this new uh, measure of like staying home and watching a movie? I mean, I don't know. I don't know how I can, you know, give advice to, I can't give advice about that. What I, you know, what I can say is I think that people, the people who know the importance of seeing in a cinema will always know that importance. And mm -hmm. I think it's different because, you know, I live in a city where I'm very lucky where we have so many different movie theaters and they're all different kinds. And it's not just, you're having a big multiplex of 12 different cinemas where it's completely impersonal. You don't know any of the staff. You just walk in and walk out and there's no, there's no exchange yeah. as opposed to a lot of the cinemas that we have here where it's, you know, one screen or maybe two screens. And it's something where it's a very interpersonal thing. There's people who come back very regularly. People know each other's names. You mm -hmm. hang out and you talk afterwards. And like, that's what I'm interested in. And yeah. I think, you know, that's something that as a true film nerd, something that I crave. And so it's, and I'm, but I'm also a very social person. So I just mm -hmm. like being with other people. I like talking about movies with other people and, and, and dissect, dissecting things. 
So to me, watching things at home by myself feels very unnatural. And yeah. so to, I'm going to get back to it as soon as I can. But I understand if I was living in a city where multiplexes were the only option, it would feel differently to me. That mm-hmm. being said, I would still be as anxious to get back to the multiplex as anything. You know, growing, growing up in Las Vegas, that's all we had. And so I loved going to the movies just the same. Yeah. But it's I think it's something where people have, you know, we don't, this kind this country isn't as good as a lot of, you know, think of, I think of Canada or Ireland where they're very, very arts funded, where they're there to really support artists. And I think America doesn't do that as well, but yeah. there's so many, what did people turn to when this lockdown started? They turned to art, right? They turned to movies, they turned to TV, they turned to music. And these mm-hmm. are things that show you how important these things are. So I think once people re- can remember what it's like to go see a comedy or a horror movie with 200 people and what the feeling in that room is of yeah. everybody laughing or everybody being scared, it just elevates the film in a completely different level. It just really does change because I'm sure that you've had the experience where you've watched a movie in a cinema with an audience. It was hilarious. And then mm-hmm. you go home and you show it with like a friend and then there's nothing. And you're like, well, yeah, it's not the same movie, but it is the same movie. Right. And it's just the energy mm-hmm. in the room. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm wondering if maybe like the fact that everyone is so like anxious to get out there and be social, that it actually would wind up being a positive for movie theaters, because then you can hopefully and I'm I'm saying hopefully I can't you know, like I would love I would love if this happens. But if you know, like some of these uh, local you know, theaters that are near us can go ahead and just like dedicate you know, like some uh, one or two of their screens to you know like older films. And bring in someone to introduce them and have a little, you know, chat about them afterwards and everything. Hopefully that will kind of, you know, up the social aspect. I'm not saying it will, but I would love to see that happen. Well, I know it's a big question mark for everything. And, I, you know, the thought of all of the cinemas that won't reopen when this is over is heartbreaking to me. Because every time yeah. one of them closes it, it, I feel it very personally. Uh, but I just hope that people will support and see the importance of it. And I think that, you know, now that it has been taken away, maybe people will be like, oh, well, actually I do really miss this and really do want to support it. And I have this whole lockdown been supporting independent cinemas around the world of just sending them, you know, small donations. And that don't mean a lot, you know, individually, but hopefully everybody, you know, all together, because even if they're closed, they can still do donations. You can do gift cards. You can do things that are going to help that cinema near you stay open. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, where can, uh, where can, our listeners find you so i'm on twitter facebook and instagram as julia c marchese uh, mm-hmm. it's j-u-l-i-a-c-m-a-r-c-h-e-s-e and i am very active on there i answer my dms so if you want to ask me anything talk to me about anything movies whatnot i'm on there you can find my podcast and movie stuff all over there um you can listen to me on twitter talk about you know vintage furniture or 80s movies or you know any sort of thing yeah Uh, i love movie suggestions as well if you have any i always love to get new suggestions excellent excellent and of course you can uh hear julia on the podcast as well horror movie survival horror movie survival guide that's correct Mm -hmm. and uh joe dawowski greatest it's just it's just fun it's just fun to say isn't it it really is (laughs) (laughs) tell tell me you're doing uh joe dawowski's dune are you going to be yes yes of course we are Oh, sweet. Uh, that, I'm, I'm very, very anxious to, to tune in and listen to that one. For the next few episodes, I'm going to be playing the answers that I collect from the question of the month for March. The question of the month, if you don't know, is this. What is stopping you from making the first step toward achieving your creative goals? 
What is the one thing that is stopping you from doing it? I will share my own for this episode. Mine is simply time management. There is a lot that I have on my plate. And what I really need to make sure I focus on is getting rid of the time wasters and just focus on what I need to do at that specific time that I have. We all have the same 24 hours in a day. And I want to make sure that mine are used as well as possible. And I really hope that all of you do too. So that is my question of the month for March. What is the one thing that is stopping you? Remember, go ahead and record your answer on your voice memo app on your phone. Say your name, where you're from, what your answer is, and then go ahead and email that to me at george at he's got it.com. And those that I get, I will be playing on the air at the end of each episode for the rest of this month. Just like Julia says, by all means, you know, this is, this is a wonderful, wonderful uh, medium film and it needs to be seen just as much as possible. It's not just the experience of sitting down, watching it, you know, like on your TV and everything while other things are going on. It's there, there really is nothing that beats sitting in a dark room with you know other people all around you, everyone dialed into the same thing, enjoying this wonderful spectacle on the biggest screen possible. Um, it is something that I really, really hope um, will never fade away. It is something that I hope um, all of you go out and uh, support as soon as you can. And I really hope that you support Julia by buying your copy of Out of Print. Definitely buy it, it is a great film very much worth it and it will it will definitely make you long for that sort of experience so if you do that if you get it you let you watch it you enjoy it and you want to get out to the movie theater then julia has done her job i can safely say that she has so for julia marchesi this is george soroy saying to all of you ever upward and i will see you next week Today's show is brought to you by Audible. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. If you've never been an Audible customer and want to see what they offer, just go to www.audibletrial.com slash Excelsior Journeys and browse the unmatched selection of audio programs, download a title for free, and start listening. It's that easy. Why Audible? Audible content includes an unmatched selection of audiobooks, original audio shows, news, comedy, and more from the leading audiobook publishers, broadcasters, and entertainers. And with this free 30-day trial, you'll have your pick of it all. You can hear books of all genres narrated by Jim Dale, Stephen Fry, Will Patton, Alex Hyde-White, Jeff Brick, Neil Shaw, William Demerit, and even a few by me, George Soroy. So go to www.audibletrial.com slash Excelsior Journeys and start your own 30-day journey with Audible today.